everybody, and welcome to MILF Talk. I'm Sophie, and I'm full of it. Free advice, that is. My name is Sophie Venable, and I'm a psychologist, life coach, author, and mother of two. MILF stands for Make Your Life Fabulous, and we like to talk about anything here, from parenting and money issues to sex and dating. And today's guest might just bring up a little bit of all of that. My lovely guest today is an MFT, that's marriage and family therapist, for those of you who don't know, who specializes in sex therapy and is currently working toward becoming a certified sex therapist through ASECT, which basically means she's working her ass off, people. It sounds too busy. She's really busy, okay? Yep. Please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Shireen Harari. Yay! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, and once again, we have in the peanut gallery the guy that likes to just come and hang and chat with the ladies. Hi. Ladies and gentlemen, the charming and talented Todd Anderson. Woo! Hi, ladies. Yeah. All right. How's it going? We're so glad you're here, Todd. Oh, thanks it's for having me. It's always nice to have you here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Anthony's here, too. You know? Yeah. Hey, hey Anthony. Hey. Another boy. <laughs> Another boy. It's nice to have boys in the house. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so Shireen. Yes. Tell us about uh, sex therapy. Actually, did I say Hariri? Or did I say Harari? You, whatever I don't know, whatever it is, it is it's Hariri. It, it's okay. Hariri. It's yeah. all good. Because I don't remember. Yeah. Anyway. It's all good. Um, yeah, so, so um, what is sex therapy and who needs it? Well, <laughs> from a sex therapy, pr- Take your therapy perspective, everybody needs it on some level because we all have some relationship with sex. Right. Well, that is true. Yeah. Yes. I saw an episode of Simon and Simon when I was a kid where AJ had a sex therapist and she had sex with him. Is that how it works? No. No, uh, that's okay. not what's supposed to happen, in fact. That's what happened on Simon and yeah. Simon, though. That no, sounds that like been a in breach the 80s. of ethics. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah Inter- no. or, or the 70s, or the maybe. 70s. Yes, if, if that was actually the heyday, the, Right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get to that later. Yeah. But okay, because yeah. we don't want to confuse people. No. No, I would, you know, I think that um, one of the reasons I prefer, I used to hate the term life coach a lot, but Mm -hmm. in a way I prefer it now because, well, one, I'm not an MFT, so I can't legally call myself that, Um, uh, two, because there's a little less stigma around it, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that sometimes um, couples, whether it's about money or parenting or sex or whatever, um, they feel that it's some grand, horrible statement about their relationship that they might need counseling, you know, that they Mm -hmm. might need a therapist, a third party to sort of help them sort through things. And I would love to, you know, educate people about that and let them know what the process is really like. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, the fact that it's most couples going into therapy are are already done. They go too late. You know, there's already one person that's Mm -hmm. done. I mean, wouldn't you say that? Absolutely true. 80%, if not more, like by the time you get there. They're already it's hard like, to fix it. Yeah. So yeah. people are using therapy as a last ditch effort. As a last effort. ditch effort exactly. instead of sort of a, a, a tool that can be used throughout their relationship mm-hmm. that they have to go back to that can really, you know, help them communicate. So so I'd love for people to really understand what it means or why somebody might choose somebody that um, uh, specializes in sex therapy or, you know, when that would be the, the, the go-to choice. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I think a lot of times people go to a regular therapist and assume that they're not going to be able to talk about sex at all. So mm. many regular therapists are like not willing, I guess, to say certain words and talk about certain things. And by the time penis vagina, penis Sorry. vagina, <laughs> um, really, therapists don't talk about sex. Like, 
a lot of their, when I see somebody, when I get a client, a lot of times they've said, I tried to talk about this with my therapist, but she got really squeamish. And so I just. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah that doesn't uh, sound professional at all. Just that, like all professions, they come in all. They do. Yeah. They do. <laughs> and so, you know, I think there's such a need for somebody to be a sex therapist. And when that, that couple or individual walks into the room, they know that this person is going to be okay with pretty much anything they say. Right. And that includes anything from my penis isn't working to I want to be spanked really hard and uh, my partner doesn't want to do that. Or I like this other thing that my partner doesn't like or whatever it is. A lot of times they will come in and say, my therapist is like, we never talked about sex and I saw my therapist for five years. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and your, was, your, your response is, is the same as if they said, I want to go rock climbing and my partner doesn't. And you, you could yeah. just talk about it and yeah. say, well, so how do you feel about that? And what are you afraid yeah. of? And what are you concerned about? Yeah. Yeah. It's a non-issue for a sex therapist typically. I mean, obviously, everybody's got their stuff. But sure. when somebody goes through this process and, and is interested in helping people with sex, it's we've already gotten to a point where we... It's almost like penis and vagina or whatever. It's just another bunch of words, right? Another bunch of topics. Yeah, I worked so. with a um, I worked with a client when I was uh, interning who was um, in there court ordered for molestation, mm -hmm. and I I had to. I, I, he was, <laughs> it was actually going really well, but for me, I felt personally that I had to split off, mm -hmm. you know, uh, internally mm -hmm. to be in the room with him, and I just didn't feel like it was healthy for me. So I, I had to. Um, I had I had to transfer him to another to another therapist. I mean, I think we all have our limits, yeah. you know, at a certain point. Yeah. But uh, I I wish I could have you know helped him more. I suppose, but um, you know, I just think it's important to know your limits. Yeah. So somebody who decides to go into sex therapy, you've now you've gone one, you've done extra work, mm -hmm. and you've definitely decided that you you are okay with being in the room and talking about these things. So yeah. somebody can really feel safe with you. One would hope. I mean, you know, we try to go through as much training as possible, especially when we get certified. We know that there's the standard of training that we now have. Um, a lot of people can call themselves a sex therapist without that training, but, uh, right. you know, you can say anything you want to say. But What is the additional uh, training that uh, sex therapists go through? Um the additional training I go through and most certified sex therapists go through is something through this organization called ASECT, uh, the American Association of Certified, or se whatever it is, sex, sex, <laughs> sex uh, expert, sex, sex educators, uh, <laughs> counselors, and therapists. That's it. Um, and it's a, it's actually I it a, up. <laughs> very good. Bravo. <laughs> Better than I did. Um, and you know we have we do. 250 or maybe now it's 300 hours with clients so it's like a basically it's like getting another license except a, mm. it's a shorter time frame than getting Thank an God. MFT yeah, yeah which can take years um, but in in this case with ASEC so we I did I've done my 250 hours I've done all my supervision around it and then we have about 150 um, educational hours like learning about human sexuality and how to be a sex therapist and a few other hours here or there that we have to do. And I've done most of that. So I feel like I can call myself a sex therapist because I'm maybe 20 hours away from being fully done yep. with this process. And so what that We're means... We're going to call you that. Please do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Shereen, the sexy sex therapist. Yeah. There it yeah. is. <laughs> there you go. Ding. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Ding. So, yeah, so what it, basically what this means to be a sex therapist for me means that I've, I've got the training and I've also got the open-mindedness to not have somebody in front of me that I get all weirded out about if they say. So I, in fact, do have um, some people that I see who are uh, 
pretty much pedophiles, uh, mm-hmm. maybe have even been arrested for something. Yeah. Um, my way of doing it is I'm not going to judge them. I, I might have my own thoughts and feelings about it, but right. I can also see the humanity in most of these people, unless they're sociopathic sure. or, you know, there's something else getting in the way. Yes. So yeah. having empathy and being able to help them. Yeah, I think I could I could probably do that now. I wasn't in a place where I could do that. Then. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. But, of course. But the majority now. Do you work with um, a lot of singles or couples or? Um, it's pretty split down the middle. Yeah. You know, it really depends. Somebody who is having a, a quote-unquote sexual dysfunction based on whatever the DSM calls a sexual dysfunction sure. um, might come in by themselves or with their partner. Um, it's really split down the middle. I think uh, it's also gender-wise split down the middle, um, sexual orientation, plenty across the board. Uh, so it's a, it's a good demographic. I think um, I have to say Caucasian people tend to seek sex therapy more than anyone else. Interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that is? <clears throat> well, um, I think that... Coming from a very Caucasian. <laughs> I'm, I'm as white as they <laughs> get. He's glaring. I need sunglasses. <laughs> um, so I think that there's a trust factor in other cultures. You know, I think that oh, yeah. plenty of other cultures have difficult... Non-Caucasian cultures have difficulty um, opening up, you know, feeling safe. Yes. But, you know, whoever comes in, comes in. Mm-hmm. And we talk very openly. You know, they're expecting me to know what I'm talking about. They're expecting to be able to say words like penis and vagina and sex yeah. and, you know, the F-bomb and things like that. Right. And so, so generally, works. even in, so, <clears throat> so in your first, because you, you present this, because you present this way in your first, um, in your first session, mm-hmm. you can sort of sit down and really say, so why are you really here? You mm-hmm. know, and if a couple says, well, we've been going to therapy or an individual says, I've been in therapy for five years. I haven't been able to talk about sex. Yeah. With yep. my therapist, you you might as well just go right into that piece of it, you know. Yeah, dive right in. Dive right in, <laughs> so to speak. Yes. Yeah, and so and uh, yeah, it's it, and so when people come in, they're actually they tend to be very tense because everyone they've tried to talk about this with has been very tense with them. And sure. My thing, and I think a lot of sex therapists, we really want people to feel comfortable, and we normalize the conversation about sex and hey, okay, just asking these questions. Sometimes you you know that they're skittish. You have to kind of say, if ever I say something that feels a little bit too violating or too far for you, please let me know. I'll dial it back. Um, But generally speaking, they know that they can say whatever and they're not going to be judged. And I really like that for them. Yeah. As well as for myself. Right. Because you're a very, you're a a loving and empathetic, compassionate person. You're, you know. Yeah. You're doing you're doing this to help people have a better quality of life, yeah. right? Because yeah. you know, like we've talked about in the actually in the last uh, episode, it's been a little while since we talked about it. But Todd, uh, Aaron, and you and I were talking about couples and you know being able to talk about what you want sexually mm-hmm. and really feeling safe and. And, you know, there was a piece, because we, we sort of got distracted, I don't know how. What? <laughs> but there was a no piece way. of that that we didn't, we didn't get to the other side of. There was one part, there was one uh, side of the coin where I said, well, because you said, well, what if you want something that your, your partner just doesn't want, you know? And, mm-hmm. and it's, well, you know, sometimes that can drive you apart, you know? Sometimes yeah. it can, sometimes mm-hmm. it can. But the, the flip side of it, too, is sometimes just being able to say it or talk about it or know that it's okay that yeah. you think it can increase your internal freedom and your feeling of int- intimacy so much that you don't even have to act on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are sometimes, mm-hmm. like a very simple example would be 
if a guy, you know, really wants to have a threesome and his wife is like, that is never. Imagine a guy wanting to have a threesome. I know. Never Shocking. Never happens. You mean with two women, right? That's what you mean. Two women or two men, whatever. Um, But um, some guys are. Hey, you know. You know, guys are bi-curious. You know, they're a bit. Nobody talks about it. And um, I don't want to talk about that. (laughs) Okay. Well, we won't. Um, Anthony, do you want to talk about that? No. Okay, good. So, um, so simple, simple example. Um, however, if he can even get to the point with his wife where it's okay to even talk about it in bed or fantasize about it or, you know, notice other women or whatever, they may never, ever have a threesome, but it may be fun to talk about. And there may be a level of internal freedom there that creates more intimacy between the two of them. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was the other side of it. I didn't want to just like leave people with, and by the way, if your spouse doesn't want to do that, you're probably done. Right, right, right. (laughs) That's not, you know, the final answer. So, So, yeah, so I'd be curious. I mean, if you have any, you know, interesting kind of like real simple examples of what a couple Mm -hmm. might come up with or, you know, what can be the most real complicated? Because I would imagine you have to work with their doctors, too, in some cases. Sometimes, yeah. 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 I mean, as far as that part goes, depending on what's going on, usually they come to me already having ruled out something medical. If they haven't, like if a a man comes in with a erectile dysfunction-y sort of thing, I might send him to a urologist to get checked out. And he'll still come back. Yeah, you're clear. You're everything's fine. fine. Yeah, everything's yeah. fine. It's all in your head. Um, but yeah, typically, like I have a couple right now that I'm seeing who came in because a couple of years ago, he had mentioned that he wanted to expand the relationship a little bit and maybe play with others, like bring in another couple, oh, okay. swing. And she basically was having none of it, but she didn't say anything about it. So two oh. years pass, she did some things. She didn't like it. Oh, so they went forward with they it. They went forward even with she, it. Okay. Oh. But she didn't say anything like, I'm just, I'm monogamous. I don't want to do this. Uh, so it really, really spiraled. And by the time they got to me, they were, um, you oh. know, it's savable. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, the part of the problem is that she just was too scared, I think, or too upset or whatever it was to share her, her truth and be authentic and be intimate with him, which is really what he was looking for and what she's looking for. She just didn't understand how to do that. So part of our therapy yeah, is that, could, that would be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. That would be. Yeah. So that kind of thing actually happens a lot in various forms where one of them wants to expand into some form of non-monogamy and the other one is totally scared to say no, but does it and then it just goes awry in various ways. It's very common, at least for who I see, it's very common. Interesting. Yeah, that would be... um, Yeah, that's interesting that one side of the couple can mm-hmm. come and say, this is something that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I wonder, was she a good actress or did he just choose not to tune in to what was going on with her? And I guess that would be probably her resentment is sort yeah. of, you didn't read my mind. Yeah. 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 Well, and it yeah, sounds like she said yes initially because she was afraid because, of what we talked about in the last podcast right. of having a rift in the relationship if she mm-hmm. wasn't if cool she wasn't. with that sort of thing. Yeah. And if she, if she can understand that in our therapy, you know, part of this is saying, well, the rift is going to happen. It's just going to happen differently and more slowly if you don't communicate and you're going to feel awful about your relationship. Well, yeah, then you're, you're literally having sex you don't want to have. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then how do you, you can't unring that bell. Yeah. You know, that's really, you know, it, it, uh, I, 
planned non-monogamy, like mm -hmm. what you're talking about here, mm -hmm. can really work for some couples. It can. But um, if you don't speak up, the reality of what's going to happen is that you're going to be having sex with other people. Okay, let's say the woman, okay, mm -hmm. isn't the let's one that's say. not want to do it. Yeah. You know, you're going to be having men on top of you that you don't want on top of you. Exactly. Or even if you do, you're not sure why you don't want, like mm -hmm. even if you're attracted to them, you're not, you're not in that experience. Yeah. And that's awful. Yes. Awful. Yes. And, and I don't think your partner really wants that for you. So you one would hope not. One would hope not. Well, I mean, if your partner needs to get laid so badly that they are really willing to kind of throw you under the bus, so to speak, that way, there's way bigger problems in the relationship. That's true. <laughs> and that happens too. That yeah, happens too. Yeah, I'm sure. Definitely. But, but wow, I mean, that's pretty intense. You it know? is. That's, it that's is. a lot to untangle. That's it's a, a lot, lot to untangle. And especially, you know, a lot of times, stuff has really happened so she's been maybe it's not swinging maybe it's kink maybe it's whatever right. you know but she's been doing something she didn't like she's been getting more and more tense in her body mm. she's been becoming more and more resentful more and more shut down he's noticing something's wrong he's trying to overcompensate by doing more of this thing that he thought would fix it to begin with oh and then Interesting. now her body is in a place where she's starting to feel a trauma response, you know, and that yeah. could be whatever it is. Sometimes it ends up being genital pain, vaginismus, mm -hmm. you know, where her whole body is just so shut down reflexively that now we're also dealing with having to reverse the effects of that. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, I, my hope is always that people maybe find me online before it gets too bad or find a person to talk to before it gets too bad. But really a lot of this has to do with a lack of maybe self-esteem or, or skills in communication or willingness. Absolutely. You know, if you, if a person didn't have parents that helped them be able to say safely, Hey, I like this. I don't like this. This is, makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Then they don't have the tools, you know, and let's say it's a, it's a woman who's in that position. And by the way, it's not always a woman. It's usually, it's no, often flipped. I would imagine it would yeah. be flipped also because men would yeah. be very territorial mm -hmm. of their woman. It who, could be, yeah, could, could be, be. Yeah. could be. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. They could be very like, it can happen. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I the, don't care how many women I get to screw. This uh, is not this okay is, with me. This feels weird. <laughs> it's okay for me, but not for you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can imagine all the ripple effects of, of just the first moment where one of them said, Hey, I'd like to do this. And the other one did not attuned to themselves mm -hmm. enough to say what was true for them. Right. And if there is a history of not necessarily speaking up about anything, whether it's, you know, swinging or paint colors, it's, you know, then he's yeah. got the same response that he's always gotten. Yeah. So he assumes everything's okay. Yeah. Huh. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, how, how, what's the, what's the percentage of, you know, people Because that sounds like a communication breakdown thing. Yeah. Like in and you talked about sexual dysfunction before. I mean, what what's the percentage of sexual dysfunction that you deal with that's actually physical or manifests itself physically, and then just couples working their stuff out, or even the individual who's not necessarily there with the other person who's mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. that like rift in the relationship. You know, I I can't say a percentage, but because it really fluctuates depending on the month, you know. But it's certainly all of the above happens. Um, 
the in a in a couple or in the aftermath of a couple, maybe they've broken up, and now I'm seeing an individual. It, a lot of it is communication based and sort of codependency ish based and lack of tools and skills. Um, but dysfunction does end up playing a role a lot of the time. So let's say there's a couple, the same couple I'm talking about, where this happened and it kind of spiraled. You know, by the time I see them sexual dysfunction so she might have the vaginismus she might have genital pain um he might have an erectile dysfunction or uh early ejaculation because now he's anxious about doing it right or whatever so you know those are sort of the two primary things but then also libidos might drop you know then she sort of shut down her sexual flow Mm -hmm. or he has and even if um at some point the communication's better, everything's better, now we're still dealing with that after effect. So how do you get the body on a very organic level yeah. to, to flow differently hormonally, chemically? What, what, uh, what do you do? What do you tell them? <laughs> you just, I mean, because when there's a communication breakdown, obviously you're helping them reestablish mm-hmm. that line of yeah. communication. Yeah. So, But that's not necessarily a, a fix-all, is it? Because no. once the communication's established, then there's still you still could be communicating a genuine difference in desire. Yeah, well, you can certainly be communicating that, and you have we have to assess like is this couple are they willing to kind of meet together someplace in a like a Venn diagram sort of way? Like where is the overlap between his template and her template? And if that's enough for both of them, then it all works out and we can negotiate it. Like the overlap in my example would have been, I can talk about it and want a threesome and we can fantasize about it in bed. And your overlap is you're okay with, with that, you know, with talking about it, that mm-hmm. could be the only overlap, you know, right. where exactly. The, yeah. The, the rest of it doesn't overlap. Like that's not okay with both of us. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah, and then I would imagine, you know, physically, you've got to get, and one of the things we've talked about a lot, too, is just, you know, the level, maintaining that level of affection in the relationship mm-hmm. and the sexual tension just between the two of you. So I would imagine, particularly in this example, I would imagine that the intimacy between them needs to be completely reestablished before it can be shared with anybody yeah, else. Yeah, or, any I mean, certainly yeah. sufficiently reestablished. I mean, it's it's intimacy, <laughs> it's trust, it's communication. You know, with a couple, a lot of it is you're doing couples therapy first and then you're doing the sex therapy later. Right. Um, Because sex therapy is not going to help at all. It's just going to be re-triggering for them as a couple or as individuals uh, if the the foundation isn't kind of better. Right. You know. So you have to start repairing the relationship and then you talk about the sex. To a point, yeah. I mean, you have to assess it. So a couple comes in, the first couple, two to three sessions are usually kind of an intake process of getting to know them a little bit better and then kind of intuitively, but also based on what they're saying, I might come up with some kind of a treatment plan that includes something that I would tell them like, okay, it sounds like you guys really need to sort of reestablish a connection to begin with. And I don't know that we're going to be able to talk about the rest of it until you can sit more than five feet apart on the couch, <laughs> you know, and, and your penis will not reach all the way over there. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. That so. would be really, really long. That's not going to work. Yeah. Not, that guy would be famous. He would be. Maybe not in a good way. <laughs> not in a good way. Maybe not. Infamous then. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we have to look at each couple. We have to figure out like, what is the primary problem here? Sometimes the primary problem is that she has a, or he has a low libido and that's just hormonal and it's turned into this oh now he doesn't like me she doesn't like me sure you know? and that's the, that's the issue with the layers 
right? Yeah. I mean, just the, the, the layers of meaning that we pile on to everything, you yes. know, and, um, yeah. um, some, you know, sometimes I, I and you can, I'll throw this out at you okay. actually, because I sort of have this theory <laughs> like Lay it on that me. if, if your man really doesn't have a libido, mm-hmm. like if there's really something going on in your marriage where he doesn't want to have sex, mm-hmm. most likely, not 100%, he's either not well, mm-hmm. you know, on some level, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, stress, low hormones, not sleeping, sick, you know, something mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. depressed, mm-hmm. okay, actually mm-hmm. You know, kind mm-hmm. of depressed or cheating. <laughs> you know, getting it elsewhere yeah. or masturbating too much or something. But there, but I mean, you know, getting it elsewhere. Wait, you somehow. can masturbate too much? Oh, Todd. A what? If you're masturbating so much that you're forgetting to pursue. Oh then no. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. 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 You're fine. <laughs> I'm fine. It's fine. I just wanted to check. Yeah. No, you're all good. I need, right? I need hard Is numbers. That fair? Is that a fair <laughs> assessment? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you can masturbate too much. You can cause sores on your penis, so you don't want that. But that's as long true. as uh, <laughs> that's that would true. be a you lot. Don't want that. Yeah. That's a lot. That's yeah. like when you're getting when you're getting friction burns. That's <laughs> exactly. You have a carpal tunnel is, from that's masturbating. That's lube is for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's lube. Yeah. Right. It can help. It can help but eventually you just have to stop masturbating really that's really the only way out that's of that the one. saddest news i've ever I'm gotten i'm so sorry to break it to you oh my gosh yeah but there's so, no swords yet right no, no not you're yet good. you're no, fine I'm, yeah. don't be sad okay it's all, good. all right you're fine i'm just you're gonna fine. see how far i can take this oh thing. you go for it okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so the so the layers in that the example layers, would be yeah. like it's about he's not into me he's not that you know he's not and uh yeah. So you know that that seems like um, that's sort of the 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 neurotics point of view of like this is all about me. And sometimes you might have to get a little curious and say, mm-hmm. is there something going on for you? But it's scary to get that answer sometimes. Yeah. You know, for that kind of thing, I mean, if if something in the way that they present in the first session or two, a couple specifically, it, it tells me that maybe I need to do a session individually with each of them mm-hmm. just to get a little more mm-hmm. detail. Yeah. Every so often, I'll do that. Um, Letting them know that there's no secret, you know, like we keep a very definite boundary about I'm not going to hold any major secrets. This is just so that you can speak more freely. Um, But if even if we don't do that, even if it's just couples therapy. So let's say the couple that you're talking about, like he has a lower libido Mm -hmm. and she's getting more and more sort of upset and taking it personally and he won't really talk with her about it. There's all sorts of reasons why that could be going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you're kind of on the right track, it could be something physiological. So he could go get his testosterone check, for example, or other hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, he could just have one of those bodies that doesn't really have a lot of a, a high arousal level or mm-hmm. even what we would kind of quote unquote call normal. Um, he could be cheating. He could be watching excessive porn. Um, Todd. You mean, how do you mean excessive? You mean the kind We've of porn or the time, the time the porn lasts? What are you, uh, is it quantity? Oh, you're talking about quantity the or the genre? The, or is it the, the genre? Okay. The genre? The intensity. The genre can matter too. Yeah, the genre, I, I would imagine so. Yeah. yeah. If, if their sex life has traditionally been, or what she wants is something more vanilla and he's watching super kinky stuff. Um, then he's just not being turned on by whatever it is that she is willing to do. Right. Um, 
but there's also other stuff like for a man with a low libido a lot of times we'll we'll be dealing with codependency issues we'll be dealing with emasculation we'll be dealing with family of origin stuff where I often find with men in particular who don't have a high sex drive or have an erectile difficulty Mm -hmm. either getting keeping an erection or uh, ejaculating um, we can kind of sometimes trace it back to a really overly critical uh, mother Mm-hmm. That actually happens. It's like a in in my Pretty practice common. anyway. It's a common theme. Mm-hmm. So it might be that he just has an issue with women. He doesn't feel safe. He does. He can't let go. He can't relax. Sometimes it's because he has like ADD and he can't focus. I mean, there's all sorts of there's a there's a long yeah. list of reasons yeah. why that could be. Um, and part of my job is to know that list pretty well and assess for it in the first few sessions. Yeah. But over time, also. How often is it religious upbringing? That actually, for women more than men. That, really? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Do you know why? Um, well, I think that for women, because just to be really blunt, in a lot of religious households and cultures, uh, virginity until marriage is a really big deal. Oh, of course. Oh, that and makes sense, yeah. yeah, and virginity is much more easily checked and discovered uh, on the wedding night for women versus mm-hmm. for men. So, right. you know, unless she's going to get a surgery to repair her hymen, um, he will know oh, if she hasn't. God. Yeah, yeah, that does happen. Um, so Ooh. you know, she's. I know, did your vagina just <laughs> yeah, like clench? Just, like, <laughs> <laughs> Super glad I don't have a vagina right now. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so she. I'll, a lot of times, I'll get in particular Middle Eastern women who come in having been virgins until marriage, having been told they would be considered a slut if they mm-hmm. had any extramarital sex prior to their wedding night but there's no on off switch here right so they get this negative message they go to have sex it's painful because they're terrified that they're going to be bad and maybe god will you know shun them or something whatever their particular religious upbringing was and then we're dealing with like how do you integrate sexuality sacredly <sighs> right, with religion right you know so that happens a lot um, it does happen with uh, men as well so I don't want to just say it's all women it's right. just that there's this additional layer I think for women mm. that has to do with the virginity specifically and no, the slut, slut shaming kind of stuff right do you find that um, for men some of it um, has to do with their image of their wife and what they're wh- how they're allowed to oh like a virgin whore complex thing yeah, well yeah like sort of uh, you know we're married and so it's okay to have sex now and you know um, but it, it can't be too slutty like it can't be too nasty yeah you know yeah. or sure I think that that comes up I, yeah you know although the Madonna probably not whore enough to end up is, in the therapist's office <laughs> yeah I think I mean obviously there's all sorts of incarnations yeah. of this so I, I'm really overgeneralizing when I yeah. say that you know typically he would actually love her to be more wild in bed as soon as they're married um, uh, yeah but well, like yeah in you know, this example sure in this example or it's in like, these isn't examples. this great mm-hmm. you know for both of us but yeah. are like, there a lot of examples of you know the opposite you know, that Madonna whore thing? I mean, how often sure. does that happen? It happens all the time. It's so ingrained in our society, culturally, religiously. It's it's a really common theme. You know, you can look at it in all sorts of ways. The, the dynamic, the duality of that, so there's this extreme and that extreme, Madonna versus whore. You can look at it as, like, love versus lust. You can uh-huh. look at, you uh-huh. know, there's, like, this big gap between these two things, and, it, and a lot of especially... Uh, religious, but not just religious uh, communities, there is a huge difference between loving someone and what the responsibility of love 
is versus lust. Yes. And in love, there's very little space for hotness and desire a lot of the time. You know, which is tragically, it is. Yeah, why I is think that? it would be just, amazing if more women walked into your office or my office and said, I want to. I want to, you know, untangle this Madonna whore thing for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Because once you do it for yourself, then whatever. Yeah. You're gonna, <laughs> right. yeah. You know, then whatever. Then you'll just find a different kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. if somebody said, like, I really, I, I really want to be able to address this with somebody that can really help me sort of untangle these two things. Because yeah. I, you know, I, I am a good person. I am a loving person. Um, and I'm also, you know, somebody who wants to be nasty in bed. And mm-hmm. I want to do that with the man that I love. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. what, how do I integrate these two things? Is yeah. it that those things need to be compartmentalized or they do need to be integrated? What is the way of handling that? <laughs> um, ideally speaking, everything would be integrated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compartmentalizing that stuff. I mean, you know, certainly for some people it's you can look um, Madonna-ish outside of the bedroom and when you walk into the bedroom the horror can come out but really what you're asking for is for the the horror quote unquote to be within her wherever she goes and the, the, typically you know if even if there's this complex the Madonna horror complex you're still looking at a man say who wants his wife to look at him a certain way outside of the bedroom to kind of flirt with him, tease him, remind him that he's got the hot woman that he's going to go into the bedroom with and have this great wild sex. So she is sort of put into this position of having to hold both as she's walking around Mm -hmm. from a healthy sex perspective. I would love it if it was integrated, but just, you know, you wherever it's appropriate to be one versus the other, but you do it with intention. Right. You know, you can, you can live very happily with having the two things compartmentalized in, in your action. Yes. Right. Yeah. The issue is the shame around one or the other. Exactly. Right. They, exactly. Well, usually the shame around, around the one. The, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the the issue is the shame. So they can be, they can become uh, more blurred or integrated or intertwined depending mm-hmm. on the situation um, if the shame is not in the way. Absolutely. But, and and but for some for some people even that is compartmentalized. You know, out in the world there's you know shame around it, but in the bedroom um, everything is sort of safe. Right. Yeah. In there. But but that still has a thread of this is only okay here because it right. defines me yeah. a certain way. And so to lift that shame is really the goal. Yeah. I think, I think a lot know. I mean we have to remember that for some people shame is actually an erotic template. Mm-hmm. So if that's yeah. the case, if somebody gets turned on by having shame or being shamed Great, whatever yeah. it is. But isn't that <laughs> you know. usually rooted in some sort of upbringing, religious upbringing, the the shame thing? Ma- religious. I mean, or what, not. like, yeah. would you know? Would they find that shame thing without the religion? I wonder. I mean, does that happen? Well, this goes into a much more sort of sociological conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. I think. Well, I, I want answers, Shereen. I know you do, Todd. <laughs> um, it's anthropology <laughs> class now, damn yeah. it. Um, you know, if we can really, really simplify this and say that our society, more or less, most of this planet is shame based in some way. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. and, and the thing about shame, it was important to recognize this. All of these emotions that we have, shame included, anger, whatever, these are all, we've, these are the emotions we have. This is what's in the human body and the human brain, and we have them, and what are we going to do with them? We can do it in a more healthy way. We can do it in a toxic way. So 
what is shame about? What is guilt about? These are the things that we're supposed to feel when we do something that hurts another person that is mean or cruel or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to feel kind of bad for the thing that we did. Mm -hmm. But we're not supposed to feel bad about ourselves because we we are. For who we are. And, you know, part of working with people who, uh, who have this sort of cultural religious upbringing that super shames them for being sexual is to say, okay, from that perspective, what do you really think God wanted when he created you? He gave you sexuality. He gave you orgasm, you know, in most cases. He, he gave you these parts that are supposed to interlock a certain way, assuming we're talking heterosexual, and helping someone understand that whatever the story was that they heard about their sexuality growing up, that maybe they need to kind of back it up a little bit and think about what God would want for them. Hmm. You know, or what their what own about, truth is. Well, what yeah. their, but you yeah. know, the the thing about it is that but when you're, you're honoring, talking religiously, yeah, you're it's honoring a different that part of exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. it's you know, from my perspective, I I would want them to be the primary decision maker in their own psyche, but that's not always going to be possible for them because they have chosen for upbringing or not to be riding shotgun basically with God Mm -hmm. and whatever they've decided that means to them. Right. And they need to be able to integrate Mm -hmm. that into their Mm -hmm. own psyche to make, to make that okay. So that they can, they can integrate their, their sex life as part of their whole human experience and their whole experience in a spiritual way as well. But what about um, people who have lost their religion Mm-hmm. but still have those residual uh, problems. Well, we talk about because that. Because of upbringing. Yeah. Like, we, but, but like, how do, how do you handle those? Because you're talking about integrating your spirituality and sexuality, and that's mm-hmm. cool. But what if you don't have that spirituality, but you still have these lingering... I'm not trying to get free therapy, Shereen. <laughs> don't look at me like <laughs> don't that. Don't look at me like that. I think, well, okay. My, yeah, you, I mean, you have to then honor that piece of it, right? Yeah. You have to then go... Yeah, I mean, the, one of the core things about therapy, just typically, is we we try to meet people more or less where they are. So, if someone say comes in and has maybe lost a connection with religion and is still working with shame based issues, we have to talk about what that means to them. Why? Where did it come from? You know, you you do as much uncovering of it as you can, and sort of help them see connections. Mm-hmm. What you actually do to help them overcome it really depends on them. You know, I mean, that's this is a a great sort of overview to say someone comes in, they've kind of decided not to be religious, but they were brought up with the same sort of shame and guilt that whatever their family's religion was uh, gave them. So, you know, it's a long conversation. These are sort of deeply rooted neural pathways yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I try, and I think most sex therapists try to be really open about that and say, okay, well, you have deeply rooted neural pathways that you're trying to rewire. I might give them the example of like a, you know, a, some water, drops of water running down the side of a rock. And over time, they create, they sort of etch into the rock this specific pathway. But that doesn't mean that you can't change the path of that water, mm-hmm. you know. And the brain, the brain's neuroplasticity actually allows for a lot of changing of patterns. So we have to kind of say, okay, there's this goal. You're walking in here because you want to have a healthier relationship with sex. You don't want to feel shame. You, you want to feel open and free or whatever it is that this person's goal is, I would say, okay, well, so what we're dealing with is a lot of wiring and a lot of need to rewire. What would it, what, where did you come from? Where do you want to go? And how do we make that change? And then I might give them all sorts of little tools and tasks and whatever that they can do at home, um, exercises, reading, 
uh, breathing exercises, meditation, whatever. It, I mean, it really depends on the situation. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so I think, and I think the thing to remember there too, for anybody who's, you know, married and wondering why their sex life didn't magically work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so, you know, you're, you have your own set of neural pathways and so does your spouse. Exactly. And now you're trying to mix them up. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't do a lot when we're in our twenties and dating of trying to really understand, you know, yeah. what's a little further behind the door there. And so, um, cause it all just kind of works, you know, mm-hmm. like in the beginning and, uh, and, and then as time goes by, you're, you know, you're just, you're creating more intimacy and you're going sort of, further and further into the layers. And what yeah. I want to do now is I want to I want to wrap up this episode and then we're going to okay. do a part 2. Um, and we can talk about some more like more specific issues, you know, we can Great. get into some of the fun stuff. And um, not this hasn't been fun. This has been fun. <laughs> so, um, so thank you for listening. Um, uh, that's just this episode for right now. You can find me on Facebook as Sophie Venable. You can follow an occasional tweet on Twitter at MILF Talk. And uh, actually, if you want some good old-fashioned advice and inspiration, my book will be available by the time that this airs um, on Amazon.com. And it's called MILF 101. Can't wait. Um, So thank you for listening.